Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Why are we watching this Grealish v. Christensen collision over and over and over and over again? Because Jim Beglin is a fucking retard. <laughs> Hi guys, Jack Greenish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. That morning sky gave me a love. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. So, Anwar El Ghazi is an unbelievable player. He's one of Europe's most lethal attackers, it turns out. Five games, five goals. Imagine he had scored one in that Burnley match, one of his nine big, big chances. Yeah, I just expect him to deliver now. I, I faintly remember a conversation you and I had about his output every time. This is back in the old real-life WhatsApp winges, and you just kept talking about his output, his output, his output. But then I remember a conversation we had at the start of the year when Villa were playing the League Cup and the question was has Amwar or Gazi ever controlled the football you said only when he's blasting it over the bar by 50 metres <laughs> not this Amwar not this Amwar El Gazi this is the Peacock and Amwar El Gazi and he just keeps scoring goals and he does keep scoring goals and I told you and I never ever doubted him <laughs> Amwar El Gazi has got output if he's got nothing else he's <laughs> madly frustrating but he also scores goals and creates creates goals for other people He's been absolutely incredible the last five games and delighted for him. Let's get into it. Uh, John McGinn, man of the match. Like This is the big talking point. (laughs) I don't want to shit on him because we know that John McGinn gives everything. Man of the match, I don't know. I I thought it was summed up by the the coverage on Prime. Like, you know, when they're trying to show why he was man of the match. They showed three clips. One of them was a really good piece of defending where he was going from centre midfield the whole way back to right back because Bertrand Terori had obviously disappeared somewhere. Um, and John McGinn caught it out, gave away a corner. The other one was a run and a pass out to Terori on the right. And the other one was the shot. It was like, this was the this was the man of the match. And I know it was such a bad, boring enough game, which is exactly what you want to suppose when you played uh, two days ago and you're playing away to Chelsea. But... Yeah, like I started thinking, well, hang on, who was man of the match if it wasn't McGinn? Then I thought, right, it wasn't McGinn. Like, so, <laughs> you know, no matter who it was or who it wasn't, it wasn't McGinn. And then I realized, shat on Dougie Louise. Like, you know, he was playing right beside him in centre midfield. And he was again dominating and bossing that match. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a fairly boring match where it's all, everything seemed a bit flat, understandable from the two teams, given that both of them played 48 hours previously. And maybe. Jim Beglin, who isn't isn't the greatest mind I've ever heard speak about football, he uh, obviously just noticed McGinn because he was running around like a bundle of energy. Yeah. But John McGinn was he lost the ball about three or four times yeah. just by running down blind alleys. Exactly what you don't want your centre midfielder to be doing: run down blind alleys in the middle of the pitch, and then Chelsea just counter attacking. He did some really good things, and they were shown. But he also did some terrible things. He was he was all over the place, a bit like his season. He was up and down during that match as much as he has been up and down this season. 
up and down of Iman meter, I think has been this season. Like there is um there's an element of him that I I like. I do prefer him being in the holding role with Dougie Louise. I think it just which ironically there's a bit of a contradiction there because that makes it worse when he runs into blind alleys and loses the ball because one of your holders are gone. But I just think it keeps him a bit more disciplined and it gives him a bit more of a clear purpose. And when you see him covering it right back like he does, you know, then you can see exactly what he can be useful for. Um, I don't think he was terrible today. I definitely don't think he was man of the match. I, I always come back to, if I'm ever doubting John McGinn, I always come back to Dean Smith had a great quote about him. He said he's a big character, he's big lungs, big heart. You know, and he said he's obviously the best laugh in the changing room. He's one of the leaders. Um, everybody likes him. And he, he will always give you 100%, but whether or not that's always a good thing <laughs> is questionable. Yeah, I think... Jim Beglin noticed John McGinn early enough on in the match. He decided <laughs> after about 60 minutes he was definitely going to give him man the match. Then he hit the crossbar. Then he gave him man the match. That was it. It was, it was a strange decision from Jim Beglin, who is a strange person to be working so often. Stuart Atwell, what a man. He's back. Go back to the Leeds podcast. So this isn't me just happy that Villa got some decisions because of Stuart Atwell. Villa got hammered that game 3-0 and I said, I'm going to keep an eye on this boy. I really like him. Sure, that well sets the terms of engagement. Everybody knows what's happening. And it's way better for the viewer. He's fucking, he's brilliant. He just, sometimes it might be a free, you know, that he's not given. But he's so consistent with that then. Yeah. That it's grand. It's like, you know, everybody knows the crack now after two minutes. And it's a way better viewing experience for everyone. Yeah, no, it's class. As soon as you, we, we were actually at the start, you know, we, Jumped up and we're like, "What's going on here?" And then after <laughs> you, hang on, is that Stuart Atwell? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, he, he's he's very enjoyable to watch. I think the Leeds game was terrible for him to be the referee in that game. He said at the time because yeah. Leeds really needed the referee to be blowing the whistle a lot more, <laughs> a lot more readily because Leeds were just pouring forward with every opportunity. And we needed the play to be broken up, but tonight it, it really helped an otherwise turgid enough game. Um, and it was obviously tougher as well because again both teams played on Saturday so they're coming into a Monday match so it's a bit more galling to see that Man City and Everton are getting another nice little break not another break they're getting a week's break over Christmas um, and I was just thinking if Grealish ever gets COVID Aston Villa just need to infect three or four more players and get that game postponed because we're not playing without Grealish when he's struck in the name of COVID now I know it's a risk giving other people COVID <laughs> so I can't believe I'm committing this to public records, but yeah, like the the precedent has been set from the Newcastle Villa game that games will be postponed. Um, and now the Man City Everton might be postponed. And like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into whether games should be or should not be shut down because of COVID. But it's a bit annoying that you know back in September, the Premier League came out hard. Uh, in a number of newspapers, who saw the report from the Premier League, and they said, "Like I'll just read it out here." So basically, they decided that August fifteenth of twenty twenty one is going to be the backstop date. Like that will be the final time when the Premier League can be finished. Well, that obviously, gives you a lot of time anyway if you're starting from September before. But um, yeah. So I'll read out the statement. It said, "In guidance set to clubs, it is spelt out by the Premier League that any youngster who has played a multiple of first team football." Uh, sorry, a minute of first-team football for a Premier League, EFL, or overseas club should be promoted to the senior squad to make up the numbers if necessary. The Premier League will also refuse requests to postpone games if any player has breached their COVID protocols. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, or has undertaken a period of government-mandated isolation. If any club refuses to fulfil a fixture, the Premier League will convene an independent disciplinary panel to hear the case. Um, now, it obviously, it gets... It gets tricky because you don't know how COVID can spread and obviously there's a window there where you have to wait and see. The only thing I'm a bit annoyed about is that Villa have to play <laughs> two two days apart. Mm. You know, now Man City are getting a week off. And obviously that can be allowed for anyway. You know, we're going to fit that Man City-Everton game in somewhere. At the minute, Man City and Everton are direct rivals. Mm. Now, it's, it's worse for Leicester who had to change seven players there to do the exact same thing as Villa did and then drop two points because of it. Man City and Everton will go at it again. God knows when. Why Why are fixtures being squashed in two days apart? This isn't like that Jurgen Klopp wins where it was like a Saturday, 12.30. On a Saturday, those times are set by TV. If you want TV, you play 12.30, you play 5.30. That's it. This is a random Christmas fixture. All the games are on Prime. There's four or five on tomorrow at six o'clock. There shouldn't be two days apart between these games. Villa are playing on Friday. 
that game can be played on Saturday and Villa play on, on Tuesday. You know, it's just a completely unnecessary and arbitrary thing that Villa are playing two days apart. And same for Chelsea. Yeah, and there's obviously a lot of room there as well. City's next game is not until the 3rd of January. Yeah. But I'm but I'm with you. You know, if, if Villa, if Jack Relis gets COVID, let's have a COVID party. <laughs> Get that game cancelled. Yeah. And yeah, like, and in fairness to Dean Smith, Again, just takes it like a champion. He doesn't doesn't whinge about it. I don't think once he complained about having to play two days apart, he's very aware that the players might be tired. But lovely, lovely uh, quote from him where he said, "I asked every one of them whether they were ready to go. They looked me in the eye and they said they was." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he also had an article where he said, "I'm not sure I've ever seen a footballer carried off the pitch because of exhaustion, but he, you know, it's very danger of finding out if he keeps that up for the rest of the season." Absolutely brilliant! It was like such a good quote that I was going to include a new category that I will include from here to fourth quote of the week. We we'll call it the Dean Smith quote of the week, um, because it's just brilliant listening to talk. And yeah, the exact quote was, "I'm still yet to see a player carried off the pitch with exhaustion." I think that's exactly what you said. <laughs> in fairness, um, and I just love that. Just, just get on with it, you know. The players can play, let them play. Yeah, exactly. Dean Smith carries himself so well and so confidently in those interviews. Mm. I mean, his first game, I remember he was being interviewed just inside the pitch, and he's talking so openly about what he had just done. One of the questions he was asked was, "You know, you just you played Connor Hurahan in the holding midfield role there. What was your thinking there?" Yeah. And he's just like, "Well, you know, he's a, he's a brilliant passer of the ball, and we want to keep possession of the ball. So I thought Connor could do that for us. Just like, you know, <laughs> yeah. why do you think I played a ball player midfielder? Because I yeah. wanted a ball player midfielder." <laughs> And he never, he never, he never gets insulted by those questions. No. He's very happy to explain to people. And like I, I just thought of that Sam Allardyce uh, interview from the Liverpool game uh, on Sunday when they were playing, and he was just asked about Sam Johnson's amazing save at the end, which which got them a point. And he got really thick about it. It was like you know, oh, one save, one save. You asked me about one save. That shows how good we were. I was like, yeah, I'm just saying. Like obviously, he had he come come in handy then as, as much as the goal was good like the save was important as well and i was just like if that was dean smith in that scenario he wouldn't think twice about just heaping praise on the goalkeeper because yeah. that's the job he's there for and that's why like dean smith is confident enough i think that's the word he used that's a good description of him he's, and he's confident in his own skin that he can just give the credit to the goalkeeper in that position where sam allardyce is feeling threatened by a goalkeeper yeah. making a save yeah sam allardyce is a narcissist <laughs> and as mika richards would tell you dean smith's a really nice guy <laughs> <laughs> Mika Richards has redeemed himself in fairness. He was talking him up actually that last day on Saturday when the game was on BBC. Um, but we're going to get into some WhatsApp winges here. Uh, another good result for Aston Villa, so could be short enough. Let's go. <laughs> I, I burst onto the scene, didn't I? And I was going to be the next best thing oh who who was it that said there was an interview somebody recently and they said that he's always positive it was Mika Richards hold on I played for England at 18 youngest ever defender to play for England it was Mika Richards he was talking on Sky Sports and he said he's always positive sometimes you wish he wasn't as positive like he almost he said he was too nice right what do you think lad I think Mika Richards should shut the fuck up. <laughs> what the fuck has Mika Richards ever done for Aston Villa? <laughs> Dean, Dean Smith got Aston Villa promoted from 14th in the championship. Mika Richards was just there collecting 40 grand a week while that was all happening. <laughs> oh, he's just brilliant. He's just top. What a guy to work with you are, honestly. Okay, what's up, Winges? See, this is what I mean. Everyone likes him, but he can't play football. <laughs> Who are you talking about there, Connor? Courtney, 50p head house. <laughs> I'm conflicted, right? Because he's been really good defensively. Villa kept three clean sheets in a row. He's gone away to Chelsea. got a good result. Um, he didn't put a foot wrong defensively. He clears out some amount of balls. And that was really valuable considering the amount of set pieces Chelsea got. And the threat of Giroud until he took him off inexplicably um, for some reason. But that's what inex- inexplicably means. Um, but I just... 
offensively, like, how many times is this going to happen? Just clearing out balls that Villa are putting into the, the box, like really good chances as well. And I just have a heart attack every time he has the ball on his left foot. It, it, it takes him ages to hit it. Always seems to be about to get closed down. And it's always very obvious where he's putting it. And even at that, he doesn't usually put it where he wants to put it. It's just sometimes I think. <laughs> and I want to be nice to him because I like him. And he was really good the last game especially. I just think you need to have a bit more football and ability to play at this level. Yeah, I mean, if you're having a heart attack whenever the ball at his left foot, I would hate to see the ball ever land at his right <laughs> yeah. foot. Uh, there was one in very early on where he heads the ball clear for Chelsea again from, from an attacking yeah. set piece for Aston Villa. And he's running back, grimacing, he's shaking his head, his head's in his hands, you know, looking to the sky and say, I can't believe it. Yeah. How can he not believe it? All he does is head the ball away from corners. He's done it so often. Yeah. How is this a shock to him? The exception to the rule was the last game when it went in. <laughs> yeah, when it went in from 12 inches out. Yeah. Unbelievable. He's running back. Oh, my God, I've missed. How? How exactly, House? He missed a fucking sitter again. And that's another... I'm getting too bogged down in these stats now. I'm, I'm on Twitter too much. Let's call a spade a spade. But, uh, you know, it's another assist that Jack Grealish isn't getting that he should be getting. <laughs> like a fucking delicious ball. Whipped round the corner. Straight on to his head. On your centre-half's head. Like, if that's Kanza, it's goal. How he needs to be putting that away. Yeah, we know we know Jack Grealish loves stats, particularly about himself, because he's constantly <laughs> retweeting them. But he's more annoyed that the ball doesn't go in because it doesn't mean Villa climb up the table again. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to keep Villa there. Whether or not it's him creating the chances or... People scoring from his set yeah. pieces is going to be well enough. Villa score and Villa climb up the table is going to keep Jack Reedy there. Um, second WhatsApp wins. How many fucking corners are they going to get? I'm fed up looking at Mason Mount's quiff. <laughs> they got around the back so easily uh, on both sides, and that just resulted in loads of corners. Either because they were just getting crosses in and then they were being cleared by a 50p head, or <laughs> the cross was being blocked down and just trickling out for Mason Mount to trudge over and get the camera on him for a few minutes. <laughs> it was like it was annoying because it, it always felt ominous, even though, and Courtney, 50p head house is a big uh, part to play in this, even though Villa dealt with them all comfortably. But yeah, it's Chelsea had a lot of big men, strong men. Giroud was a threat for the whole time he was on. I can't believe he got brought off. And uh, yeah, and you know, Mount was was loving it as well, loving that attention. He hit every single corner, and he fucking took his time over every one of them as well. <laughs> you know, just there's peacocking in a good way, like El Ghazi does, and there's peacocking in a only peacocking for peacocking sick way. You know, like El Ghazi, as we know, gives output. <laughs> <laughs> Mount is just peacocking. I think the distinction might actually be there that one of them plays for Aston Villa. Yeah, no. It, there's something, and it was before the game as well, I just had a feeling that I, I hate playing against Olivier Giroud. Mm. And then the stat comes up before the game, <laughs> they scored nine goals in nine games against Villa. Yeah. Well, I was like, ah, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I was right. Every time he's on the pitch, though, I just think, Giroud's one of those players that I think must be absolutely dreadful whenever I don't see him. Whenever whenever he's playing and I'm not watching the match, yeah. he must be fucking shit. Yeah. Because he doesn't start every game for Chelsea. Yeah. But every time I see him, he's fucking brilliant. It's like Dwight Gale. Every, <laughs> every time I see Dwight Gale, he scores. Yeah, yeah. But obviously he doesn't score all the time because he wouldn't be playing for all these clubs that he's playing for. Yeah, there was a game there earlier on the season. You text me saying, oh, there's a goal. And I said, who? You know, who the fuck do you think? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dwight Gale, obviously. But isn't it interesting, um, Smith, the quote machine, afterwards was talking about ugh, what a great construct, the second six-yard box, mm. which is basically the six yards in front of the six-yard box. And he, he said that they always want players to get in there as well. He said he was disappointed about his Giroud goal because he talked about that second six-yard box. But even them talking about it that often, Villa are always susceptible to that. I feel like if a team cuts the ball back, we, we see this in slow motion so many times where Villa have that deep defence mm. because they're, they're in line with the ball in fairness and then there's always just a line of opposition players there just waiting to kick it and you're just waiting to see the net bulge and it, it usually doesn't thank God but um, Giroud got it today yeah and we were worried about we were worried about Villa's fullbacks before the season started we were worried about the, the threat that was going to be there because of the wide players that Villa have and their lack of ability in defence not their lack of effort or lack mm. of actual ability to defend 
if the ball is always on for an overlap, and once that ball gets played, defenders just start rushing back towards their goal, and that's why Dean Smith is talking about it, obviously, yeah. because it's it's so so prevalent in Villa's games. The defenders just drift constantly. You mentioned the the Tyrone Mings drift as well. He's normally three or four yards ahead of everybody as yeah, well himself, yeah. just standing next to the goalkeeper. It is a bad habit that they have, and I'd say that's why Dean Smith, being the good manager that he is, has started to use plain, simple English to explain this concept yeah. that you have to be six yards, the yeah. six yards outside the six yard box. <laughs> just imagine another six yard box, right? Just, <laughs> yeah. You can't explain the next six yards. Yeah, you want to be eight yards out. No, sorry, I've lost you. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a. Uh... It shows as well that he's such a good manager in that, uh, he's, again, his quote afterwards about the players maturing and the management team included, we've matured as well. Sam Allardyce, for example, would never say that. Like Sam Allardyce has thought probably 30 years ago that he has he has copped it. He, he knows life inside out. He knows football better than anyone. Mm. Dean Smith is humble enough to learn which is exactly what you want, especially when you're learning on the job and obviously being a very quick learner and then putting in the things you learn into practice. Sounds very simple. Not a lot of managers have the humility to do it. Yeah, and we all know that the only thing that was holding Sam Allardyce back was his name. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Sam Allardyce would have gotten those tops. What what an absolute numpty. Um, Third WhatsApp winch. Ah, let's just get to halftime, 1-0. Yeah, it was it was looking very, very ominous towards the end of that half. Villa were sixes. They were not necessarily sixes and sevens, but Chelsea was just yeah. constant, constant pressure. The goal was coming for a long time. Yeah, it was I was I was thinking the same thing, probably because you were shouting it out in the living room. <laughs> it does it is swings and roundabouts, but again, probably fatigue comes into play as well, but I think after 25, 30 minutes, it was just like, ah, Villa, a good team. Mm-hmm. And again, it's so like, so used to watching bad teams, including Villa, including Ireland. Teams who just can't take the sting out of a game. Villa do that now, they know even like, and they actually were, uh, they had most of the possession during the first 35 minutes or whatever it was. Um, they were able to just like, you know, get themselves in the position where they were able to force Chelsea back and then Villa could come again then and have those measured attacks, which they're, they're pretty good at. Um, but like, yeah, as you said, Chelsea were just on that run. Villa just looked drained. The goal seemed to take the stuffing out of them. And that was the best advertisement for just get in without conceding. Because you concede one more there, bank games mm-hmm. over. You lose 3-0, 4-0 probably. The half-time team talk is falling on deaf ears. Players are tired. You're thinking, ah, what's the point? Like, we're on a good run. I'm fucked. But you've 1-0 down. You've everything to play for. Just don't concede another goal and you're in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And they definitely proved that themselves in the second half. The game was, it definitely was up and down for both teams. Chelsea started the better. Villa then controlled the game, both in defence and offence. And then, yeah, the goal went in and it was it was coming, it was coming again. And halftime was there, calling out to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, four WhatsApp wins out of five. Uh, it's VAR related. The media are the problem, for the most part, not VAR. Why are we watching this Grealish v Christensen collision over and over and over and over again? Because Jim Beglin is a fucking retard. Like <laughs> Jim, Jim Beglin speaks in narratives constantly, like, and this is a this is a classic thing with with commentators. How does Jim Beglin not understand football? How does Jim Beglin get employed by every single channel <laughs> in sports TV? Like it's a fucking insane. Yeah, I know it is. Like, but even before the game and at the start of the game, he's talking as if he'd never seen Villa or Jack Grealish play before, yeah. which he definitely has because he does every fucking match. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, Jack Grealish likes to cut inside. Yeah, exactly. Know. He's saying that, and then he's like, "Oh, there he goes in one of his runs again on the outside, <laughs> straight to the byline, straight to the byline, yeah. pulling it back blindly across the box, fucking hell." Yeah, Jim Beglin was just obsessed with trying to create something out of nothing. There, yeah. nothing happened. Jack Grealish leaves his leg in so that he can get tripped by Christian yeah. in case El Ghazi doesn't get to the ball. Yeah. If anything, Jack Grealish is diving. You're not going to cancel a goal for that. That it yeah. wouldn't have nothing to do with it. And at the end, Rudiger clears it, and then that's it. Far can't do anything anyway. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's because because Jim Beglin was desperate to create something. There. It was a terrible match, and maybe he wanted a maybe he wanted something to talk about. <laughs> Even if Var could do something, like Jim Beglin says it with such a such conviction almost, and like all, always he's always like you know shocked 
at what he's seen as well. So you're thinking, hang on, what, what's happening here? Even if our could do something about that, you described it perfectly there. Like when I saw it again, I was like, what are we watching? And then, like, you know, we watched it again and again. We were watching it in the post match analysis. They showed it to Dean Smith. It's like, what, why are we still looking at this? Greenish has probably gotten a foul there. Looking for it, as you say. The referee's given him the advantage. Yeah. Because Christensen's gotten mugged off. He's flat footed. He's stuck his leg out a little bit, as as Lasso said. And Greenish took it. But he still passed it off to El Ghazi anyway. Taking, like, both players, Greenish and Christensen, were out of the play. And that, that was going to happen no matter what. Christensen lay down then for no reason, looking for a free that he wasn't going to get. Get up, the game's still going. Yeah, and, and, and this is the thing. You mentioned Dean Smith's confidence there. The confidence to admit that you're wrong is something that Jim Beglin definitely does not have. <laughs> the humility to admit that you're wrong. He just doubles down on things incessantly. And once he said, oh, I think I think really says, he's, yeah. he said he's kicked him. Yeah. Really just flying through the air. <laughs> like, he hasn't kicked him. But Jim Beglin was certain of that. So then he kept, and no matter how many replays he was showing of that not happening, yeah. he just kept saying that it was happening. <laughs> and it was, it's, it's the same thing as the, the John McGinn man, the match award. He had decided early on mm. that John McGinn was going to get man, the match. And every time John McGinn did something bad, Jim Beglin's not doing any, yeah. offering any analysis on cool commentary. In fairness to you, you said to me after about 70 minutes, is he going to give John McGinn man of the match? <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Um, the final WhatsApp wins you have? <sighs> My target. I understand yeah. what this is, but I, I couldn't I couldn't pick one moment from the match. He gave the ball away about three or four times. His defending was all over the place. The ball hit off him. It just seemed to hit him in the stomach or the top of the thigh. And he just couldn't react, couldn't adjust his body to control it. And the ball just went out of play twice within the space of about three minutes. Yeah. A lot of the time, just that, that ball's on all the time, just down the outside of him. And the defender or the forward coming from the inside, like he'll always get caught with that. He's not quick enough to react. He doesn't seem fit enough again to want to get back. I actually don't want to be too harsh on him because he was really good the last game. He wasn't even terrible today. And I don't want that to feel like I'm picking on him. But... We need to be better as a people, you know, than trying to pretend like my target is something. Like, you know, think about the the Liverpool problem with the goalkeepers down through the years. Like, Liverpool fans and the coaches and whoever else and the ex-players trying to trying to convince themselves that this keeper is up to standard. It's when he's so obviously not. Yeah. They just called it out and said, no, we need a proper keeper. Like, you know, then we might be better to get a proper keeper. Then they are better. This would be the exact same. Imagine... And Matty Cash comes in at that side. I know we're all rooting for him. Like I want him to do well. Obviously, he has to play every game. He's the best left back. But we just need to be better at, as a collective support, you know, than than Matt Target. I, I see it on social media now. Like you know, there's almost a polarization of like you know, can't believe people are slagging off Matt Target. We've kept eight clean sheets or whatever it is. No, like just just look at it. He's always always suspect. And even like in games like tonight. When he hasn't done anything, anything that's led directly to a chance, really, he's he has just always left himself open. Like I think there was one stage where House has had to come out from centre back to cover for him because Target is is caught off the pitch, and Target doesn't even just have the wherewithal to think now my centre half is out of position. The ball gets played inside into the centre where House isn't. Like you're just little moments like this, and it's almost why I'm reluctant to say it, but that's it's why I'm sighing as well. It's just like ah. It's just a weak link again. Yeah, we've been doing this path before. Yeah. I don't want to have to bring this up again later, but I, I have to bring this up again <laughs> yeah. later. Yeah, the first thing he did in that match was kick the ball away. Like, you know, <laughs> tried to play a pass and just overhit it by 30 yards. He had another bad game, and after after a much improved performance two days ago, he was back to his usual shit self tonight. And yeah, it's, it remains a worry. Yeah. And that's it. We'll get into uh, some categories here. Roy Keane thinks Scott Parker is a dweeb. <laughs> in one single moment, your whole life can turn round. I stand there for a minute, staring straight into the ground. Looking to <laughs> Roy Keane thinks everybody's a dweeb. I just thought every time he cut back from Parker being interviewed, for some reason he was being interviewed two or three times before the game, and uh, talking shit obviously, and, <laughs> and every time he cut back, it looked like Roy Keane was holding on a laugh, 
and it looked like you know Carragher had that little knowing look that he has sometimes you know when he knows what somebody's laughing at or whatever like, he's a proper football bloke you know and he, he tries to pretend that he's intelligent as well so then pretentious football writers can get behind him Scott and Roy King just that's absolute fodder for Roy King you know he, he, he sniffs that out immediately he hates bullshit and you're right he hates Scott Parker like even at the end of that game the story isn't fucking Scott Parker the camera's on Scott Parker's face Aston Villa have just climbed into the Champions League places never to be dislodged that's the story it's not fucking Scott Parker getting spanked again the Ronnie Rosenthal award Courtney House for his 50p head missing that big chance that Grealish put on a plate for him and Matty <laughs> sorry every time you say 50p <laughs> and uh, the only other nomination I have is Matty Cash the ball broke out. They actually didn't even show this in the halftime analysis, but the ball just bounced up for him. And he just needs to get on the end of it. He's blazed it over. He has gotten on the end of this, but he, I know he's been pushed a little bit, but it's like, ah, you're seven yards out. The ball's bounced up. It was very reminiscent of the Trerori's goal against Crystal Palace. <sighs> Put it away. It's 1 0. Yeah, it's, it's a big chance, and he just completely fucks it up. It's like he couldn't have hit it any worse. He's under a bit of pressure, but yeah. And needed a goal, so yeah. maybe that maybe that's what made it seem a bit more glaring. But it was definitely a huge chance and a shit finish. So, how's or Matty Cash? Matty Cash is 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 the easier chance. How's a free header as well? The one he had, he's he's had that chance about fifty times before. I know it, it, it's a it's a free header. <laughs> we shouldn't expect any more from that. But um, it's a good goal. It was not even a good finish. It was just a nice goal because of the cross. Definitely should be scoring, but there, the cash one sat up mm. seven yards out. Chelsea, like, Mendy's made a big cock up. It's, it's actually very, like Stuart Atwell's obviously saw the, Stuart Atwell would have let play continue there anyway, but obviously the Burnley-Leeds game is fresh in everyone's mind where the keeper has made a clanger and he just got protected for no reason, just for the sake of protecting goalkeepers. Mendy's come out, dropped the clanger, and there it is for Matty Cash, like just just bury it like you, you you're not going to see Chelsea exposed that much yeah. in a game like that that was the one yeah Chelsea have really tightened up and they've spent a lot of money to to make up for the fact that they spent a lot of money on Kepa and it was one of the worst <laughs> signings of all time and yeah you have to punish it because that's not going to happen a lot although in saying that Mendy had a cock up against Arsenal as well yeah. in the game previously which he got away with because he produced a good save but mm. yeah maybe he's maybe he's not the answer to the worst <laughs> keeper of all time yeah. uh, we give it to Matty Cash anyway uh, Peter Enkelman, what the fuck award? Jack Grealish setting up Pulisic on a plate. Uh, like you know, we love Jack Grealish because he tries to uh, play out is the wrong word. Like you know, but that's not what we want from him. Like yeah. you know, we want him to keep possession, yeah. not do something stupid. Like even if that goes to him out of cash, I don't know what cash is supposed to do, but put it clear because he's under so much pressure from from Pulisic and Grealish is coming up in this category. Often enough. Yeah, and, and this is just somebody who is not tuned into the game. He's not playing at the right level. His head's not clicked in that he's playing a Premier League game. Yeah. You mentioned the crowds last week. Maybe that's maybe that was a problem today because that was just unbelievably bad from Jack Grealish. I mean, even from where he receives the ball, the pressure he's under, the fact that Chelsea had their asses handed to them by a shite Arsenal team two days ago. He has to know that Chelsea players are going to be pushing up there. Yeah. He's controlled the ball on the wing, under pressure. He cannot play that across the pitch. Yeah. Especially because Pulisic is on the right, the left wing for Chelsea. That That is just dangerous, dangerous play from Jack Grealish. And it was silly. Because even if he looks, he can see that it's there. But he should know without looking. That, that, that's it. Like, yeah. Like, he should know anyway. But if you look, like, which he always should look, <laughs> um, it's not on. And... Playing it across the pitch is another thing, but he's, he's bounced it up for him. Yeah. He's sat it up for Pulisic just to run on to. I can't believe he missed. Um, that should be in a Ronnie Rossenthal award as well. Although I still think Matty Cash was, was shaded. The only other nomination I have is John McGinn and take your pick just for constantly running into three bodies 
and like you know, again, it just leaves Villa exposed sometimes when he's your holding midfielder. Yeah, it's 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 silly to do anyway, but whenever you're the last man, definitely do not do it. And he did it so often, you'd think he would learn. Where he's just dribbling past the first man, but it's pointless. Who cares? Yeah. Sometimes people, and I definitely do it. You would let somebody skin you if it's going to make sure that you can correct your feet then afterwards because you know they're going fucking nowhere yeah. or you know that they're running into N'Golo Kante or they're running into Christensen, whoever it happens to be. You just let them go past you so that you can readjust and get rid of the danger then afterwards. Yeah. Don't just skin somebody for the sake of it. What's <laughs> at the other side? Yeah. It's like somebody who runs past you and shouts nuts. It's like, yes, but our keeper's got the ball. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> well done. Kick it through your leg. Ah! And they fall on their arse laughing at you. It's like you just kicked it away. <laughs> exactly. You don't have the ball anymore, mate. <laughs> uh, but giving it to Jack Grealish, uh, that was a massive what the fuck moment, and it should have been a goal for Chelsea. Uh, you let Glenn Whelan take a 90th minute penalty award, have one nomination, not taking Bertrand Terori off. It's becoming a regular occurrence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It it was strange because he was all over the place. I, Dean Smith said after the game that they had a word with him at halftime to tighten up that side, but it didn't fucking work. <laughs> that that was on all game. Like, God love him. We know he's, he puts in loads of effort. Yeah. Uh, we've seen him track back 80 yards to cover for Matty Cat, or Matt Target getting pushed to the ground uh, two or three games ago. But he's just like Jack Reedy. He just doesn't have any sense of what's happening. He just, he just doesn't understand defending. Yeah. <laughs> and he just can't see it. And the the Chelsea's goal. I mean, it's a brilliant finish from Giroud, and it's a it's a good cross from Chilwell. But the most annoying thing about Bertrand Rory falling asleep is that Douglas Louise has told him yeah. he's, he's pointed there. He's like, you know, watch over there yeah. because there's a there's an overlap on. And Rory's looking at all this. Not only is he looking at Douglas Louise, he's also facing the play. Yeah. He can see Chilwell, but he still doesn't smell the danger. And then the ball gets played to Chilwell. He's like, oh, that's why Chilwell has just wandered up the pitch there. He wants the ball. And then he starts reacting. But by the time he's reacted, the ball's on Giroud's head. Yeah. It would be one thing if he actually did something, you know, instead of standing there. Like, as Douglas Louise is pointing, saying, keep an eye on us, we're all shouting. Yeah. Just watch that as well. Just watch that overlap. It's so obvious. He didn't do anything else. Like, it wasn't like he was like, oh, no, I want to just pick up Cash's man by mistake or... He, just, he literally just stood there and he's actually 20 metres away by the time he realises yeah. what's happened that it was um... he did do something else he he lay in wait for the counter attack that, <laughs> that he was <laughs> desperate to pounce on yeah. and like again like not um, not trashing Bertrand Terori because like, he, he showed showed that talent that he has as well and in flashes he showed his ability to keep possession in tight areas um, but it, it's just a time bomb there I do think he tightened up a bit in the second half, that's relative to the first half, and it was only every other attack, Do you know, so there were stages where it was like, ah, oh, right, he's on it now, he knows, he knows the crack, mm. and then the next play, it was like, ah, oh, why is he still on, take him off, and the next time he would do it, and then I would start forgiving him, and forgiving the decision to not take him off, mm. and then it would happen again, and then I would start thinking, like, if they don't take him off, and they score from this again, it's going to be criminal, but like I mentioned, uh, Chelsea took Olivier Giroud off. So yeah, so that threat was then nullified because there was no one to cross the ball into. Yeah, but it, and the, and tonight's game really really shows that we should not have questioned Dean Smith's decision to take Bertrand Traore off in the last <laughs> game because whenever you need it's a flat bank of four or five midfielders. I'm not sure if you're going to defend in that shape. I'm not sure if you can play Bertrand yeah. Traore. Like he's he's a, he's fine defending as one of the front three, but defending as one of the midfielders, I don't know. Yeah, especially. When you've got Villa's bench, so you're only getting one chance at that. So really, like you know, <laughs> yeah. there's no other alternative. You can't bring like Azzy back on. Like ah, oh, balls that one up. Like you know, yeah. um, I'm actually not going to give this award. The you like Glenn Whelan take a 90th minute penalty award to Trory. I'm going to give it to Frank Lampard for taking off Olivier <laughs> Giroud because that's completely negated Trory's lack of effect in defensive positions. So uh, congratulations, Frank. The Vimin meter. Going up, and it must be for the last time now. Emmy Martinez, like, can he go any further? There's definitely a red zone now. There's, there's bells ringing at the top of that. Like, he can't, you know, he's off the scales now at this stage. I think he's gone up probably every week. Just, uh, yeah, it looks like he's rolled in super glue again before he came out. It's just everything was sticking to him. You could hear how loud he was in the absence of Tyrone Mings. He's just a, just a top, top drawer keeper. Yeah, he's flown through the top of the Vimin wacko meter. <laughs> Uh, he's he was brilliant. There was one where we both burst out laughing, where 
the box was absolutely crowded. Yeah. There was four or five other defenders there, and there was three Chelsea players all challenging for the ball. And then Emmy Martinez just emerges with the ball, tucked to his chest, coming running out, <laughs> looking looking for the counter attack. He's incredible. He's a brilliant, brilliant goalkeeper. Yeah. Only a little bit behind him on the Vima meter and going up, Douglas Louise. He's been going up very consistently. Had a couple of uh, down days, sort of like McGinn, where he dropped down. McGinn had him drop down at the same time, which wasn't ideal, but didn't drop as far and has risen far higher again. He's just. Phil aren't going to keep hold of Douglas Louise already if, if this 25 million buyback clause is uh, to be believed. Phil have just had an incredible uh, couple of games. That's not sort of worrying about uh, Douglas Louise getting transferred out of the club. <laughs> nah, he's, uh, I think it's he doesn't have the pull that Jack Grealish has to the club. I, I, if, if Douglas Louise wanted to go to a team that's in, in the Champions League already, there's no reason to think that Villa can't get there, uh, th- then I would be more forgiven of him. I, I would understand it. But yeah, it's going to be really fucking annoying if it does happen. But he's definitely good enough to be playing for Man City. Like he's he's got everything that Rodri has, for example. He's a, he's a brilliant player, and it's going to be tough to keep hold of him. Like this is how good it is. He's better for Villa than Adrisa Gay was. Now I know Gay was in a far worse team that got relegated, but then he showed how classy he was at Everton. Even though like that, he's the only person we talked about every week. Like he's he's on it, he's on it, he's on it. He was completely on his own, mm-hmm. is what he was. Went on the PSG, you know. I, I could see Louise going on that to those heights and just us not being surprised. Like, yeah, yeah. like he's a Brazilian midfielder who was tearing it up at Villa. Yeah, do you know? I, I could see him playing at Real Madrid, for example, and just being that that rock for them in midfield. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's, he, he really clued in, really understands how other teams want to attack, and he's got he's got a, an amazing passing range whenever he's on the ball. But he's also got all the physical attributes in to yeah to. To cut out what he sees the other team is trying to do, like he covers ground so quickly. There was a moment there, the very start of the game, where Troy wasn't switched on, yeah. unsurprisingly, and I was shouting <laughs> at the screen, "Bertrand, he's gone again!" Yeah. And uh, Douglas Wee just comes across and nicks the ball, yeah. and because Troy hasn't gotten back, the ball falls at his feet, and <laughs> yeah. sure enough, he starts the counter attack that he wanted to start. And like, doesn't tire either. Like you know, he's another man who's played, you know, 180 minutes in the last 48 hours, but like just looks great like he doesn't look like he's sweating like you know i don't know like comparing to him and mcginn mcginn's just got different facial expressions he's got mm-hmm. a different uh genetic makeup but louise just looks godlike you know when he, he tracks into the corner mm-hmm. and nicks the ball away and passes it out he just looks completely unfazed yeah. by the work that he's been asked to do which is a lot of work yeah and uh, I, I was asking myself during that game I was like, why is douglas louise not tired like, <laughs> everybody else was fucked yeah. i mean everybody on the pitch it was just like, such a flat game mm. you could just tell people the legs were heavy but douglas louise just didn't seem to be affecting yeah. him him and Kante, to be fair yeah. were covering a lot of ground and covering it elegantly and you know didn't look fussed at all whenever the other team was attacking they were just like well i have to stop this attack so let's get <laughs> yeah. to work yeah him and Kante. i mean that says it all it like, shows how highly we're thinking of him Kante. Uh, intercepting that Jack Grealish pass when Grealish went on that run down the left. It was just, ah, it's the only player to do that this season. Yeah. And it shows how good he is. Ah, he's a, such a little cunt. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's so annoying to yeah. play against because he's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, finally, going up on the Vyman meter, Dean Smith, probably for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why for the first time. Uh, lovely quote afterwards as well. You know, again, just, you have to put this into context. Uh, improvement that Villa have seen just constantly and consistently under Dean Smith and the, the job he was asked to do like I think Christian Perslow had said after they got promoted they got promoted too early they weren't planning on getting promoted that year that's why they had a it was 12-13 players that they got rid of and then they had to bring in all those players under a different sporting director had to try and make them blend in the Premier League in time to stay up a hit with a Covid crisis where they couldn't train did stay up then with the last eight games um and his quote afterwards was just, uh, you have to be in this league for three or four seasons to develop that sort of depth that teams like Chelsea have. And you're seeing that as well. Like, you know, now Villa are starting to just gradually get it, despite they're not making so many subs. But even the like of, say, El Ghazi wasn't being used before, really. I'd say now if Barkley comes back, if Trezeguet's back, El Ghazi and Ferrari will be used more off the bench. Hmm. House has obviously shown that he can step in and be a good defensive cover. There's three players now suddenly where you're like, okay, there's three good subs that we didn't have even a couple of months ago. 
and he's just developed them over a few months, got the confidence back, got them playing in the system. And it's it's just constant, constant progression yeah. under him. And like you, you dread to think, and like you know, you look at staff and village getting sacked there. I know it's not the same thing, but like imagine Villa hit the panic button. Imagine Villa's club and the structure the whole way through wasn't as just pure and clear and like you know good as it is. Mm. What would Villa be worth now? They would have had Sam Allardyce probably. They would have. You know, <laughs> like Alan Pardew would be back on the managing of the America round. Like, it, but this is like what you have to think about, and like Villa just stuck by him, and it was always it always seemed like a Villa got relegated. And I think Purcell said this as well. Smith is the man. He's the man we want in charge. We got relegated because we're up too early. Let's rebuild and go again. Like it's ah, it's, it's just brilliant to see how much he's developing as well as. The club is developing. Yeah, and the, the depth in the squad is being developed by the improvements in the players that Dean Smith is coaching as well. And mm-hmm. even just, okay, from their experience in the league as well. I mean, Consent and Douglas Louise are new signings. They're absolutely fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, they, they have, they're not the same players this time last year, no. you know. Like that, that is huge, huge, huge improvements. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's amazing. And I, uh, there's a danger if you put Dean Smith onto this podcast or onto this uh, vitamin meter that he'll end up coming off it as well. <laughs> yeah. So it might, mightn't be worth it. Yeah. Um, all right, questions we can't answer, but probably will. Just how angry do you think Frank Lampard really was at his players before this game? Oh, who cares? <laughs> I'll tell you. Jim Beglin cares. <laughs> Graham Lasso cares and the Townsend cares. Keep going, name every fucking person that's being paid to talk about football. They all fucking care about Frank Lampard. Even at half time, it was just like, you know, Frank Lampard's Chelsea are 1 0 up. It's like, what are you talking about? Frank Lampard is the weakest link in this whole structure of Chelsea. He's the least relevant person. He's fucking useless. Like, let's stop talking about him. Who cares? Whether or not Frank Lampard has asked them to be proper football men, has told them that the Premier League is tough, has told them that, you know, other teams try. It's not good enough. You have to, you have to, you actually have to run in the Premier League, unlike the Bundesliga, oh, where he's signed Timo Werner from. Like, what is he talking about? He's a plonker. He, and yeah. the narrative is just created around him. It's incessant as well. It's as bad as the Marcello Bielsa, but at least Marcello Bielsa has a body of work behind him yeah. and some interesting views on football. I always think... There's always an undertone of xenophobia with Frank Lampard when he says stuff like this. Like, you know, well, this is the Premier League now. I don't know where you were playing your football before, but you're not going to get away with that in this country. Like, you know, like it's, it's almost as if, like, Timo Werner has never gone behind in a game or never faced adversity to get to where, where he is in, in the game. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, well, welcome to the Premier League, kid. And, I, and, and I'm going to have to show them how it's done. And, like, that, that, that was the narrative. And the build up to this match, and then the whole way through, like never mind beforehand, it's just he's read in the riot act. He's told them that's not acceptable. It's it's fucking it's it's. He's it's, told them that losing a three one game isn't acceptable. Well, fucking done, Frank. <laughs> and the other thing is, if he has to tell people that this is the Premier League, maybe maybe do a bit of better profiling on the type of player that you're signing. Yeah. If they're not able to understand that they have to win football matches, that they have to try hard, that they have to run, don't fucking sign them. And don't sign them for sixty million. I loved as well when he was talking to Sky afterwards. Jeffrey, he's just giving him all the underhand throws that he wanted. Like you know, was, you know, I mean, you must be really annoying for you, Frank, because you told him beforehand that you weren't going to accept, you know, a dropping standard. Like, well, no, <laughs> you know. And then he said, uh, he said, "I'll take the blame in the outside, but you have to ask the players this." And it's like, all right, well, hang on, are you taking the blame in the outside or not? Like, you know, it's like, but keep that between us. You know what I'm going to say about the players? Now it's obviously all their fault, and I'll spend the next two minutes. Telling you why it's all the players' fault and why again that isn't good enough for English football. Yeah, but that's on me. Yeah, but that's on me. Um, I'll I'll, I'll face up in front of them. Second question we can't answer. Just how angry do you think Frank Lampard was at Ben Chilwell's absolute screamer skimming the post? He looked fucking pissed off. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> the shot came to him like he's walking away, like a like, grump head down. You know, can't be missing those chances. Not in the Premier League. Not, <laughs> not at Chelsea. What more can I do? I ask my fullback, they loop a big ball into the air and then for my other fullback to come onto it and smash what would have been a goal of the season contender. But he fucking missed it in this country. <laughs> I love that they asked him afterwards about the Jack Grealish Christensen uh, collision. Of course he did. He hadn't seen it and he, he made it some handball. And then the, whoever was interviewing him was like, okay, fair enough. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Yeah. And then he just moved on to whatever else. But, um, yeah, like that, like that would have been one of the goals of the season, and he's acting like 
you know, what else can I do? Yeah, I've put them in this position to win again, even though I've taken off the only player who was going to score, who, <laughs> who did score. And, like, you know, Chilwell just missed oh, one of the goals of the yeah, century, did you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy, he's a plonker. <laughs> Last one. <clears throat> do the Chelsea players now understand what it takes to play at that football club? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if they don't, he's bloody well telling them. <laughs> That's what Frank does, isn't it? That's what you expect from Frank. Um, and that's it. Look, it was a very short on WhatsApp winches. Of course, it was it's a really good result. The other one, I've won three and drawn two in the last five games. Conceded one goal in that space of time. They're fifth place. They're ahead of Chelsea with two games in hand. Um, yeah, look, it's going really well. So just, just relax yourselves. I think I'll try and do that as well over the next few days. I hope Jack really tries to do it over the next few days. Uh, United next on Friday. Oh, bring your A game. We'll bring ours on Friday night. What? Bring a 10 to podcast. Maybe. <laughs> I'll think of a better ending before then. Um, happy New Year, and uh, we'll see you then. That wind is calling my name, and I won't wait, or I'll never get on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.